So the whole idea of Sabbath, so beautiful in that tradition. You know, Sabbath, Shabbat, means to cease, to stop. Really try to do an electronic Sabbath one day a week. You'll probably have a nervous breakdown, start with half a day a week. I'm serious. I mean, really see if today you cannot use your phones till 5.30. I mean, if you have a child or someone's sick or someone you have to take care of, by all means, see if you can actually not look at your phone. Like, that's my practice. I'm just using this as a meditation. But I, these things, man, they are freaking Jezebel. It's such an unbelievable... Because it's all Pavlovian, too, with the sounds and the buzz and the shaking. It's this Pavlovian response where you just start drooling. Somebody calls me. <laughs> because what's happening? You're like, save me from myself. If you're unfulfilled in your relationship... You gotta deal with this mask, and everyone is. And we're all in the same boat here. We're some suckers, you know. If you're unfulfilled in your job, and look at the world, look what's happening to the world. Yes, there is definitely a spiritual emergence, but until we do this stuff, we'll shit on it just like we shit it on in the '60s and before that and before that. The shadow can be pumped. Question? Oh, my mask is talking. Mm -hmm. So just having to look at someone and not say anything. I felt my physically, I felt myself tightening up, and I started playing with my fingers and just. And because I do, when we do access to turn, I know her, so that I didn't have all that. Oh my God! Oh my God! Stuff coming up. Beautiful what you're saying. So is, I love it. Just share, share, because this is a part of your healing. That's very brave. Thank you for sharing that. That's all of us. The verbosity, the diarrhea of the mouth, which we all suffer from, is an amazing neutralizer of what we're feeling. So, I have friends who have that. I used to have it as a kid. So for myself, I actually try not to talk. But as a therapist, it's easy, because I have to listen for 10 hours a day, and it's good practice. I would say to you, actually practice that. When you come into a new situation, and I'm not saying like meeting the CEO of your company, but your local grocer, practice not talking as much. People feel us. I mean, I know you all know that. Like, words totally betray. Like, if you can trust, that if you're in that energy, people feel you. People totally feel you. But we don't trust that. So if you're not seen as a child, which a lot of us weren't, we do this thing of, like, sort of what you were talking about. Like, you look at me? Would you look at me? So on one level, it's negating the anxiety. On one level, it's trying to get that attention. It's this thing. One hand saying yes, one hand saying no. Any questions? That was great because I'm the same way. I get nervous and I get anxious and I just have to pick it up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? So I completely get that. Well, it's not about what you're saying, it's really about just getting the feelings out of the way. Emotions are the gateway to the soul, not your mind. Right, so those of you in here who've had kundalini experiences, who've had drug experiences, ayahuasca, what have you, realize your mind is really not, doesn't do anything. I watch a lot of people die. Sort of my gift and my misfortune. So during the AIDS crisis, a lot of young boys, young men, a lot of people with cancer. And it doesn't matter how smart you are or how much you get it. Man, when that comes knocking, you die the way you live. So if you're very heady, I'm going to do a little death exercise this afternoon. 
just to keep the upbeat energy that I want to offer. <laughs> you guys suck, you're ugly, and all that. You will see. Totally. It's everyone. People just don't look at it. I mean, don't forget, you live in a culture where everybody has plastic surgery, Botox, and all that. And when people die, put makeup on them and put, put them in a freaking suit. I mean, that's our level of dealing with death. Hello. Remember being a kid in India, walking around, and they got the funeral pyre and you know this, and you're kind of walking around, boom, and then the freaking skull explodes. You're like, oh, I guess it's impermanent. A little different. Then Uncle Tommy all with makeup, and Uncle Tommy looks much better dead than he does a lot. <laughs> that alcoholic nose all pottered down, that puppy face all sorted out, and looking handsome in the suit. You're like, damn, I can't wait. Our culture has got its head so far up its collective ass on that topic. And getting worse, right? I mean, I've lived in this city 35 years. It's just interesting how we are going backwards that way. But that's not just you, that's all of us. But they're concepts, right? So the whole thing here is exactly. you have to be in the moment because concepts mean nothing. Right? You can have a concept of a blizzard. Very interesting, right? You can have a concept of a blizzard. I've had friends in, like, from Mexico who've never been in a blizzard. I live upstate, you know, guys I race bikes with, and they've read about blizzards and they've seen it on TV. And then you're freaking driving in that thing with two feet of snow and the car's going sideways and you're like, that's a blizzard, dude. Hola, just crazy, man. <laughs> Concept, reality. Very different. You know, like, yeah, man, it's just like deep sound. Like, ah, oh, not really. Does it help or does it make any difference in your experience if you have a concept before? No, no because the concept, because the concept, I mean, yes and no. But really, really on the big stuff, no, because the concepts are usually hindrances. Tao Te Ching, right? The old Taoist text. So Lao Tzu, if it's a real person or not, starts by saying, those who speak do not know, those who know do not speak. Sounds really cute. Sounds really interesting. I can tell you from both having these psychic experiences as well as these ayahuasca experiences, at the peak, when there's oneness, there's no you to feel the oneness, you cannot speak. Physically, the mind shuts down. The mind is a binary tool. Right? It's a tool. So, this is a, this is a tool here. I can use this for writing, I can do this for drawing. If I want to take a picture with this book, I cannot take a picture. Dif different tool. It's the same thing. So the concepts can give you some serenity, can give you some peace. It's the feelings. Right? You can have... I can give you a concept about how to drive a car really fast. I can sit you down, never been in a car, you've never driven a car, I can say, this is what you do, this is where you look, this is that. You get in a car to 160 miles an hour, you'll wad that thing in 100 yards. Concept reality. It's very different. And the problem with the spiritual path, thanks for your point, is that people are very full of concepts. So, you know, I've worked, not a lot of people, but I've worked on people who have been spiritual aspirants, who've had awakenings, and we always laugh about it. I'm like, yeah, just tell me about what, what your spiritual practice was and what your reality is. They're like, holy shit. Yeah. That was absolutely not what I thought. It can be what you think. Because what you think is tonifying your ego. Ego is about survival. It's a wonderful tool. Without it, you'd be dead. 
Everything that it gathers about its survival. Awakening is the death of the ego. So you can have a concept of dryness as a fish. Right? It's a concept. You're, you're in water. Everything is water. I'll give you a concept of dryness. When you feel dryness, what happens to you? There is no you to feel the dryness. Because the second you're dry, you're going to die of oxygen starvation because you can't breathe in dryness. You're a fish in water. Someone says to you, hey, there's this thing called dryness. You should check it out. It's awesome. <laughs> what is it? It's not this. Which is the Indian thing. The four negations. Neti, neti, not this, not that. That's why all these spiritual teachers would talk from these negations. What is the awakening? It's not this. It's not, oh, what the fuck is it? Well, it's not that. Is it this? No, it's not that. You go like, what, are they just being jackasses? No, because the words betray these things. So you're in the water. You've never experienced dryness. The second you get dry, you're going to die. You can kind of jump up and feel a second of dryness and come back in. But to really be dry, what does that mean to a fish? That's the closest I can say to you. Now, it sounds like so like, wow, this is amazing. It's actually really simple. I mean, the irony is when you have these awakening experiences, you're just like, that was it? What you fucking joke? This, <laughs> this is what people are, this is a joke. There's a beautiful Indian saying, Ramana Maharshi was really great with this. Ramana Maharshi, if you don't know, I mean, like I always say this every time I talk, but like two books you should really read is Ramana Maharshi's work and Nisargadatta Maharaj. Ramana Maharshi being the sweet George Harrison world. Well, George Harrison was a cokehead, so maybe not, but maybe like he, he was like um, the Beatles of the spiritual world, just loving, like St. Francis of Assisi. And Nisargadatta was very stern, very fire, water and fire. And Ramana would say that awakening is like having this pendulum around your neck. And I'm sure you all have experience with your keys or your wallet. And then you travel everywhere looking for it. Like, Where the hell is this thing? Maybe it's in India. You go to India. No, it's not here. And then you go to Arizona. It's not there. And, and then one day at home, you're like, where the fuck is this? It's around my neck the whole time. It's that simple. It's not a discovery. It's a remembrance. That's another, that's another pointer I can give you. We think it's this thing because it's been built up to be this thing. It's not this thing. It's already who you are. It's your true nature. So, I actually want to start talking about the mask part to see what everyone's mask is. You don't have to talk about yours to someone else. But she brought up a great point, which is, I was going to get into it. All right. I forgot about it. Um, shame. So, Shame isn't a human emotion, right? This is like stating the obvious. Fear, anger, grief, these are emotions. Shame is this human-made concept to keep us in line. So when we were talking about earlier about how the mask forms and how we come about, the way that we get shut down or we repress this stuff is we get shamed into it. Right? You see parents all the time shaming little boys and little girls that touch themselves what's considered socially inappropriate. It's like a freaking nerve ending, you're rubbing it, woo wee woo But that's, how can you do that? That's disgusting. Well, you get, you get that weird feeling, you go, I'll never do that again. But that happens with everything. You got a crayon, you're putting it up on a wall, and you made the most beautiful drawing. That's, what are you doing? Shame. So shame is actually one of the ways that we subvert, repress these aspects of ourselves and then this continues as an adult. We shame each other constantly. And a lot of times we shame people 
when they're actually doing something that's uncomfortable to us. How can he do that? That's unbelievable. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he said that. So, let's start talking about some masks. Right? So we're talking about this mask, idealized self-image. So I'll throw the first one out there. This is a classic with pretty much every healer who's basically twisted in their mind. Those of your healers can agree with me. The caretaker. Very deadly mask. Caretaker is, as a child, your parents have narcissistic wounds. They make you a servant. Very common. So you can't get any love for your needs. You become very aware early on you cannot have needs. So you shut that down. That's very common. And then you start tap dancing for your meal. So caretakers are people who, on one level, in this culture, are considered very good people. They always get unhealthy because there's absolutely no way one human being can put out that amount of energy all the time. It's just not possible. It's just walking around giving $100 bills. I mean, however amount of money you have, you're going to run out. They usually have that planet smile on their face, but inside, really, there's a bitterness there. Right? Because it's impossible. It's not really real. You can't constantly be doing this, doing this, doing this. And there's an amazing level of disconnect with the emotional body. Anybody relate to that? It's just like, you've read about it, I'm sure. Yeah, you've read about it in some book. Shame is a big part of that. Because when you start having needs, you get shamed out of it. And the problem with some of these masks are that they become self-perpetuating because the Chinese have this great saying, if you are an ugly piece of wood... They just let you hang out and grow on the side of the woods. If you're a pretty piece of wood, they cut you up and make a bowl out of you. So if you're a pretty piece of wood, boy, people love that. A lot of people are going to make bowls out of you. They'll put fruits in it, they'll shit in it, whatever they want to do. But you end up with a net deficiency. So caretaker is a mask. right? It doesn't mean that we don't care for others. But the problem with the caretaker is that there's no self-preservation. And this is the posture. We stick our neck out for people in the English language. We actually have a beautiful saying, sticking your neck out. Physiology, remember, betrayal, betrays psychology. Very common with caretakers where their neck is out. We say, you, you stick your neck out for people. They're so disconnected, they're leaning forward. They don't have a center. They're going to fit their center to yours. I'm a recovering caretaker. Or mask. Just throw one out there. Nice guy. Right? Nice guy mask and caretaker. At some point they were lovers. <laughs> Beautiful. Tell me more about that. Um, you know, just this, this image that you're like, I need acceptance. You know, like, so I'm, I'm, I'm a nice guy. Like, yeah. You know, just yeah. put it out there. And, you know, I'm your friend no matter what. You know, I accept everything about you. You know, whatever you do, that's cool. You know. Lovely. Lovely. So how many of you can relate to that? So, here's an interesting distinction again. We don't want to be nice. We want to be real. And in this culture, that's very confused. <coughs> real means, for example, a nice guy thing. Nice guys have compassion. The Buddhists have a beautiful term. They call it idiot compassion. So somebody can come steal something from me. I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's all right. That's idiot compassion. Because they'll do it from somebody else, and they'll call the cops on them, and they'll do like a year's time for grand larceny. Compassion, idiot compassion. So, what we're talking about in here with all these masks is to be real. 
real doesn't go too well with society. People don't want real. People want nice. I was going through a divorce one time. I was just telling the story to someone. And I have this lovely friend. We're riding our bikes. We pulled over somewhere. I was having a talk with him. I was like, hey, man, you know, this is really painful. I love this woman. It's not working out. It's been 10 years. He goes, hey, man, what do you want to hear? Just tell me what you want me to hear. What should I say to you? Should I say you should leave? I'll say that. I was like, man, I was laughing my ass if I dropped my helmet. I was like, I love this guy. Like, how honest. Because no one really wants to know. People just ask things so they get fed what they want to hear. He was just like, I'm not even going to play that game. What do you want to hear? I will be that sounding board. Yeah, she's evil. Oh, she's the best. You should try to work it out. What do you want to hear? It's very difficult to be honest. Now, part of that nice guy thing, just like the caretaker, you will get crucified when you try to break that down. By the people that you've served, you've got to take responsibility for that. If you're going to your doorman, your elevator man, the man on the street, the woman on the street, give them $100 every day when you walk by. And after three years, you stop doing that. They will bitch slap you. You deserve it. You set it up. So it's very difficult to break these masks because in my own experience, you really basically have to change your whole friendship group. I mean, you know, you can keep one or two around who will kind of be like, I really love you. You've been full of shit for 20 years. I was waiting for this guy. Thank God you arrived. The rest will be like, where's the guy who's servicing me? I want service. I'm not really interested in you. And it's very difficult for the nice guy part because when that little boy or little girl finally is like, okay, I want to be vulnerable here. And you get, whoa, you go right back in and then you put up new murals. Here's a beautiful mirror. You are beautiful. You are amazing. The most compassionate thing you can do for human beings, especially right now, is to be honest with them. Now, that's tricky business, which is another, the most important thing I'm going to tell you today. <laughs> People don't want to know the truth. We don't want to know the truth. It's the hardest thing for me as a clinician for 27 years, man. I sit in a dark cave. I have for 27 years, 10 hours a day. I sit in a dark cave with a person. And I can bring people very close to it. They, some people, they've been hammered. People don't want to know the truth. Now, in a clinical setting, the person is giving you permission. They're coming to you, hopefully, to know the truth. Or whatever that thing you're working on. Understand, people don't want to know the truth. So once you start having these realizations, doesn't mean your partner, your friend, your ally is going to want to know that. They might want to keep their story going. This is the whole part where we start with you and people don't, don't. So this is another thing about the mask. When we start dismantling it and we have these awarenesses, don't think that just because you're getting it, people want it. People don't want it. People are pretty happy. You all had this experience, right? You will talk someone off a cliff for 12 times and they'll go right back to that partner and they'll put them on the cliff. And you're like, um, didn't I just like beat you and fuck your best friend and took all your money? Yeah, but he's really great. I mean, I do love him. You have to be okay with people being where they are. This is like off the mask and we'll get to the mask. But this is like me getting on my soapbox for a second. You have to be okay with people wanting to suffer. This is a game, this life on one level. And people really prefer suffering. Unless they come to you and say, Hey, homeboy, this is what's going on. Can you help me? And then you assess that. Do it once, twice. But the third time, let it go. 
be okay with people where they are. This is where we're going to get into the projections. If you're really getting uptight about how someone's living their life, that's your shit. You're not responsible, but certainly you can't judge it. Because the judgment is your stuff. So if you're hanging with someone that's doing something that you consider destructive, take responsibility for being with them and be with them. You know, I was an addict. I've cheated addicts. Addicts on one level are the coolest people in the world because they're basically saying something's not working. Unfortunately, they're doing it on the left-handed path which will end up killing them. But there's an honesty in an addict that a lot of people don't have. That's why addicts can sometimes say the most profound things to you. And then take your fucking wallet and then it kind of hurts. But there is that bit that if you're sitting there going like, I can't believe addicts, addicts are such addicts, it's like, oh, that's your stuff. Because we're all the same. And remember, behind this little lila going on here, it's all good, it's all one. Right? That's that whole Greek mask with the smile on one side and the crying on the other and they go like oh this is the actors go like oh this is about acting I know that's the smile because it's all one it's really nothing's happened everyone's okay it's crying because it's brutal in the dream and that's where we are on this planet right now do we want to have a nice global sweet dream or want to keep having a global nightmare up to us that's where the shadow work comes in When you affect yourself with what we're talking about, you affect everyone. That I know to be truth. Truly. You can go out there and do all these things for the world and not be clear yourself. Nada. You can sit in your room and do that. Obviously the best is to do both. Work on yourself and be of service to others. If that's your karmic path. But work on yourself. I like how I uplifted the room with that little comment. Let's talk about some masks. What if uh, I'm polar opposite? I'm not so masked. Good, yes. <laughs> Good. I'm known for saying it how I mean it. And Good. Good. So, what if that, like, when we were doing the, I know her, and I don't know this gentleman, I was uncomfortable doing that thing with him. I was freaking out. Thought it would be easier, couldn't wait for it to be over, and I thought it would be easier with her. And I was actually even more uncomfortable with her, because she was experiencing something that I couldn't just get over, oh my God, I'm freaking out, I'm freaking out, I'm really uncomfortable, I can't get control here, I'm freaking out. That's great, good point. <laughs> That's the flip side of the caretaker. That's still a mask. This thing where we've got to tell people how it is, is actually the person that punches people first and then sees if they're going to be an enemy or not. When you're, when you're a martial artist, you have different types, you can always tell. They're the ones that kind of take a couple of punches and then they come and see what you're doing. They're the ones that just walk in and right away they go into it. They're usually more scared. The ones that throw the first punch without even, because first of all, you're off balance. You don't know what you're going into. I might eat up a boxer. Come in with that punch, I'll eat you. You better see what I do first before you throw that punch. That is actually a mask. Where does that come from? Remember these masks, you have to have compassion on yourself around these things. That came from being so scared at a young age that it wasn't safe. Right? If my teacher starts knocking me out the first time I get in the ring, my first thing is going to be just to do this. If my teacher is gentle with me and teaches me how to do things, I will actually be able to dance a little bit better. So if I'm in that mode of just throwing a punch, that's abject terror, which is a lot of us. So this mask stuff isn't all like, I'm just, we just start with caretaker, and we can go, there's like a million iterations of it. That's a very common thing. Now, 
I can relate to that. A part of that, too, is where the mask is tricky. Is like, you actually might be correct many times. But this is what I was saying earlier. Just because you know something doesn't mean somebody needs to hear it. Why do you feel like people need to do it? That's your protection. And that's all of us. A very interesting thing that usually connects to that mask. When I start talking, like if I'm working with a client, they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I, I know that. Yep, 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 uh-huh, yep, 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 uh-huh, yep, yep. It's that same thing, right away, like, I know everything. That was definitely my thing as a child, not feeling safe at all. Like, I had to know everything because he wasn't safe. And it works on one level, right? It's like, if you're a little psychic, you can do this, you can do that. But it's horrible because you're not tasting life. Because when it's yes, 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 you're not actually going like, well, I actually want to be vulnerable and learn something. I have friends, I'm sure you have friends like this, which connects to that math usually. They're great at everything. They can't suck at anything. I have a friend, everything this guy does, he'll go study with the best. Picks up a guitar, will find the best guitar player and just be killer at it in two years. Ping pong, we'll find a Chinese person. It's all true stories. Took this guy to the racetrack. First time I was lapping him twice, but in the second year he was like, within a couple of seconds of my lap time. It's not, I mean, I've been doing this shit since I was 11. It's like, that is this terror of actually not experiencing anything. Right away you got to decimate everything to just show that I'm not vulnerable. So, let's just take these two masks, which sound counter to each other, but they're actually the same thing sides of the coin. If you're a caretaker, <coughs> practice. Practice walking in a situation where you see clearly what needs to be done and shut up. Don't say a word. Practice saying, let me think about it. Practice with your patients, some of you who are practitioners, I'm not just pointing fingers, but I'm just saying. <laughs> and they come in and they want so much from you and just practice saying like, oh no, can't do that. Yeah, but uh, no. Nope. Those of you, those of us who practice and do sliding scales, keep that to a certain amount of hours a week. Very clear. Those of us who have that energy, I know, I know, or right away get in and just get into that mode, really practice being quiet. Practicing situations, actually giving up something. So instead of going into that mode, just in that experience of that exercise, being like, wow, that was really uncomfortable for me. As opposed to, I know why you did that. You felt like, you know, just taking someone's inventory. Give that little piece up. Because remember the idea with these masks, the problem with them isn't some moral thing. You're not tasting life. You're actually holding life from coming in. Right? The masks are layers. This room is 68 degrees, 70 degrees. It gets pretty hot in here if I wear my winter coat. But you've all had an experience at some time in high school where you go to your dance and you put your coat on because your suit's really ugly and then you're trying to like dance with your coat on or something like that. We just don't want to be naked. That's what we're doing all the time. Clear? So what are some more masks? Go on. I kind of, person after person that I'm dealing with, I have, you know, this dynamic with. And well, you choose them. It's not good. I'm choosing them. I'm choosing right. this type of person. It's not, right. I don't think they're like this in every aspect of my life, but it's like this thing with me where I have to just constantly give. Yes, it's a way of hiding. So, But this goes back to the same thing. So the practice there again, and we'll talk about more about it in the afternoon, is 
If it feels familiar to you, step back. It's what I always say about romantic relationships. If you're gay or straight, your lover, your partner, you can have ten people. Nine of them will be the same, and one will be different. Every time you'll pick the nine, regardless of what they look like, how old they are. It's incredible, because there's a piece to this thing, which is a negative pleasure part, which I wasn't clear about. We attach sexual pleasure to these feelings as a way of survival. As a kid, you don't have currency, right? Your only currency is love, to get love, and your sexual impulse. So there is this part that's actually very sexually charged. So that, that even gets more intense. That's more in intimate relationships. But even in friendships, just observe. It's your default setting. Whether it's that, which is being a little bit standoffish, whether it's being verbose, the default setting is the first thing that comes out. You just have to work on becoming aware of your default setting. It's a process, not an event. That's another one of the most important things today. Un- understand that it's a process, not an event. These things aren't going to happen overnight. Over this past year, though, it's not comfortable for me at all anymore. Good. The past six months, especially, I'm becoming hyper aware of it. Good. My behavior towards these people is changing. I'm noticing how they're changing. I'm like, you know, my friendships, everything but that's what I'm saying to you people actually won't like it no they don't so be aware of that yeah, I want to hear about a different um, mask go ahead It's amazing that you remember that. So the remembering it is the big part. So let's just dissect that for one second. Obviously, your dad loves you and says that. But even that piece of you trying to forgive your dad in front of people, well, he didn't really mean it. That's a given. But that actually holds you back from experiencing it. Remember what I said earlier? A lot of times, depression is depressed anger. So you have to actually feel the anger. It's not at your father, but it's about that energy of it. So this forgiveness thing that we do with our child, it's a very common thing. We just kind of want to be like, well, he didn't mean it. Of course he didn't mean it. Well, I just found four years being so bad. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. But my point is how, how we do do that. I'm not pointing to you. So that's a very common thing. Like one of the things in therapy that constantly comes up, which is a way of dealing with this stuff, is like, well, you know, they didn't mean it. They did the best they could. Definitely. Whether they're sociopaths or whether they're like incarnated bodhisattvas, it's like it happened, but you have to feel the feelings around it. This is where the concepts are good for you. So you've been for four years, you feel it. That's how you free yourself. Now, most important thing. Three things with emotions that we do in this cult, which is people just always constantly like, ah, or like whatever it is. The thing that nobody does is actually feel them. 
So this whole meditation thing is about feeling these emotions. Because feeling them is what releases them. It sounds simple, but actually nobody feels things. People are either repressing it, they repress it so much that it explodes, or they're acting it out. We all know the acting it out type, right? People are always in a drama, they're always angry, they're always happy. Feeling them, actually feeling them in your body, discharges the emotions. So your experience earlier, when you two were looking at each other, and you know, you're fine, it's not like you're having this profound grief, but you sat with it and some grief got released. And it doesn't even matter where it came from, but it got released, energy got discharged. What was that? You felt it. You could have acted that out. Well, what was interesting is, weirdly, I found myself saying to her without saying it that who we were to each other in the past didn't matter because I think that we both come from places that have hurt us mm-hmm. and that I see you as you are now. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, maybe that's what I wanted her to be saying to me. Mm-hmm. I was saying it to myself mm-hmm. because I, found, I felt so choked up. But here's the thing, too, beautiful, in the moment. Past and future aren't real, obviously. The moment is the only thing you have. The first drug that you pick up, that I pick up, is thinking. So this ties into this whole thing, right? Before we do whatever our drug of choice is, verbosity, um, sex, buying things, is thinking. The first way we disconnect from reality is thinking. The only time you can access truth is in the moment. But it hurts to be in the moment, so we're going to past and future. So we think all the time. We think all the time, it hurts. So we don't want to be in the moment. It becomes this vicious circle. The question, you said you don't really know where, where it came from. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know that you just need to release it. Yes. So in the therapy, we say you're always trying to look back on where it came from. Is that really even necessary? It depends. Sometimes having that memory can really release things. Sometimes no. There, there, is, there is no one way. I would never say this is it or not. But I can tell you this, as I was saying earlier. I know people, I'm a big believer in therapy, with a therapist who's done their own work. I really feel this is where spirituality and psychology are different. At the same time, there are a lot of crazy therapists out there. They're, you know, why do you become a healer? There's some couple of nuts loose. You're trying to fix yourself by fixing other people. Unless you do a lot of work on yourself, which almost nobody does going in. They hopefully do it as they're doing it. And then you can really be good at what you do. Mm-hmm. So the therapy thing is already weird there. But we just talked about it. Feel your body. If you're sitting in front of someone, you feel like their presence, that's all you need. This work really happens inside of you anyway. I mean, what was that line from Voltaire? That a healer's job is just to keep your mind entertained while your body does the healing? That's pretty true. That's what I've learned 27 years. You just get yourself out of the way and get the person out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when I'm like driving to work or something, I'll just like just start crying, mm-hmm. just just crying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when I I'm observing myself, just I guess releasing, then I start thinking, and then it just goes to Stop. shit. Then it Stop. goes to shit. Stops. Because the thinking then becomes a defense mechanism. Because there's a level of how much vulnerability we can all take. But how beautifully you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say one of the biggest things for men, especially straight men, gay men are, are let off the hook a little bit. Straight men, we're so screwed in this culture. You know, my patient clientele for 27 years, women, gay men, and then straight men that are just dying or getting hammered or like can't walk or something's broken. So how wonderful 
that she can access that. Now, next time, try to step away from the thinking. Because there's this level of tolerance we have for this stuff. It's not great. Like, people want to throw a grenade in there. This is the addict in us. I just want it now. Let me just have this realization. It's like, it can take you years to get yourself back together. You don't want to throw a grenade in there and implode it. You want a pressure cooker, a little bit at a time. That's what meditation does. But, you can meditate and use it as numbing. So, there is no like, do this, this happens. I just like, I literally want to just take a gun out and start shooting when I read some of these new age books and lectures and come this weekend and you learn how to accept yourself. Good luck. Those of you who have been on the path for 20, 30 years, I'm sure some of you here, you know how hard it is. This is work, man. It's really deep work. It does get better, though. I mean, the bottom line of all this stuff is so you're here and you enjoy your life, really. Be here. It's so precious. It goes by so quickly. With all its ugliness and brutality, there's a beauty here. Taste it. That's the bottom line of all this stuff. It's not like people think like, well, and then I'll be walking on clouds and all that. No. It becomes less about you. It becomes less of you. Yeah. It's about tasting. Go ahead. So, am I hearing you saying that your tool here is to be present, to sit with the emotion, yes. to try to let the thinking go? Yes. Ex- as opposed to doing your oppression and your acting out and your anger? Yes. Except let the word try go. I'm not one of these guys who says your language, I mean, I, that drives me crazy. Like, people are like, don't say that, don't say that. It's like, no. But trying is actually not doing. Yes. You're, if you're doing it, you're doing it. You're do- yeah, you just said it beautifully yourself. Everything you said. In the moment, presence, you will be revealed. All you got to do is stop saying no. So you don't have to look for truth. Truth is trying to beat you on the head every day. Stop saying no. Really. Just take that. Uh, did I understand correctly that a healthy way of uh, dealing with emotions is to feel it within the body? Uh, how do you know you're doing that and how do you do that? Beautiful. So, if you're thinking, which is what we're doing all the time, we're not feeling. So that would be the first thing I would say. You can have a thought about a feeling. Like you can think about crying and crying. Distinctly different feelings, Right. So the feeling your body and the dropping the breathing is an attempt to get out of the head. By staying in that, and usually you can take a couple of minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, you'll start feeling things. Usually, obviously it's different for every person. You have to go through this barrier which is anxiety. Most people are functioning, most of us function at a constant anxiety state, which is what the incessant thinking is trying to keep at bay. The incessant thinking is trying to keep at bay that anxiety. Underneath that is a myriad of things. So the being in the body, the not distracting, emails, reading, books, keeping that elk space I was talking about, it reveals itself to you. Just like truth, these things will come up. We just got to stop shoving them down. You know, your questions are like, well, where do I dig for oil? I'm saying, don't worry about digging for oil. Just stop plugging the earth everywhere. There are uh, also uh, things like active meditation. Yes. Is that another way of... Absolutely. The only problem with active meditation is that it can become a head experience. Can you what? Head experience. A mental head experience. experience. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, there is no one way. I mean, even an arrogant guy like me is not going to tell you <laughs> my way is the way. I'm just talking to you from a clinical experience where a lot of these active experiences still become heady 
is what I was telling you about the biofeedback in the beginning. A lot of the people that would hook up to these instruments who were long-time meditators were actually not meditating. Meaning, what we consider meditation alpha or theta. They were in beta. So, the closest thing that I could find was if you feel your body and be present into the moment, things will open up. That meditation... I've to shake out the, the mental impression that's holding you back from feeling your body. Theoretically, yes, I agree with you. In practice, in my experience, limited. We can still... See, this is what I was saying earlier. We're attracted to techniques that actually already fortify us. So if you're a head person, someone like myself, somewhere someone like you, we'll be attracted to those things. So someone like me and you would probably do better with a movement class. Just go and move your body and see what comes up. It'll be really uncomfortable initially. And see what happens there. So if you're a very intelligent, like mind-strong person that you seem to be, if I'm, try something that's very opposite to that. Go have someone hold you in a swimming pool and do watsu. I don't know if you've... It's, you know, someone holds you in a pool and just shakes you. It's like crazy experience. It's like so other to like our experience. It's like, whoa, all this stuff comes up. But be a scientist. I'm just a jackass sprouting stuff off. See if it works. Do it. See if it works for you. In my experience, the heady stuff is very powerful. The meta meditations, the compassion meditations, but they still are heady. In my experience. So I was going to take your question. That's great. Because great. once I get, try to get rid of that, I'm not fun at all. Like, that's <laughs> like, great. What do they love? That's great. I'm not fun. That's great. So that's a big one, the comedian, the mask. I mean, I can relate to that one too. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, we all have a little bit of that, like in high school. I was the guy wearing a dunce cap all the time. Like, I wore more international dunce caps, Nigeria, Pakistan, India. Because that was my thing. I was like, da 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 like trying to be funny. First of all, it masks deep pain. It masks anxiety. And you actually are that person of the fun part. It's just don't put it on steroids. Like, you are, like, I know you, so you are funny. You are really kind. Just don't put it on steroids. That's the thing. And once in a while, do the Sabbath thing we're talking about. Right? Once in a while, like, on Sunday, just for two hours, I'm going to work on not being funny. And at a brunch where all my friends are there, and I'm not going to go into that whole story. Because remember, we become little monkeys. People start throwing coins at us and we start dancing for the coins. That's when it gets ugly. Mm. If you're a jovial person, you have that side and you're very honest. It's not like you have, but there is this piece that has become a shtick. And you just, we, don't want, we want to give up the shtick. Yes? But the comedian thing is actually very classic as children. It's like a thing that we... Parents like it, adults like it. It's like you, you can see these masks forming if those of you are around kids, three, four, five years old. How parents or uncles or family members start like giving little kudos. So great. I love, oh, this, she's so funny. And you're in the back line up shooting dope at 16. <laughs> I think there's also a part of it that's a way of making everybody comfortable. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Not a way, that's it. Well, there's attention seeking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but making everything okay as opposed to realizing things are okay as they are. That's the ego's attempt to control outside. Like, that's a big one. That sort of laughter that happens when you start looking at each other, that's a nervousness that we have when social order breaks down. Don't forget we're hypnotized, right? We're constantly hypnotized. Like, there's a group hypnosis going on. 
One thing I say to people is at least once a year, try to do something that's outside of your normal realm. I go to the desert, that's my thing, to break your cultural hypnosis. And people always have some excuse, I don't have time, I don't have the money, and it's like, get on a Greyhound bus man, go to Adirondacks and hang out for a week. It's not like you have to spend thousands of dollars. Break your cultural hypnosis. We're all culturally hypnotized. And by culture, I'm not just saying America, Iran, I'm saying your friends, your community. Sit with yourself. Visually change your externals because it really makes you uncomfortable. Your comedy routine is not going to work out. That's a different story. You had a question? Um, uh, yes, I'm just curious about the process of um, feeling what you're feeling in your body. Mm -hmm. Does that it's different for every person but if you start with it here's the thing when you're ready the teacher appears it's really like that I'm not any age you guy but there's some truths that I found to be self-evident one of the things that I found is I'll say this again stop saying no we're saying no all the time to everything. Part of the sitting is you're saying yes to life. Saying yes, things will come up. Grief comes up, happiness comes up, old childhood abuse comes up. All of a sudden, you'll find a therapist that works with that, or someone who says, hey, did you hear about this person? She does craniosacral work. Things open up. But that's also an ego thing. I'm saying to you, take the Greyhound bus to Albany, and then from there, there'll be a train to somewhere else. You're going like, well, when I get there, what do I do? Just get on the Greyhound bus. Here's another most important thing of the day. I was going to say this to you at the end, but I'll say it to you now. You have to live in this time in the unknown. Everyone's been sprouting this bullshit for a long time about the unknown, the unknown, the unknown. We'll do whatever not to be in the unknown. We'll walk into a horrible relationship not to be in the unknown. We'll take a horrible job not to be in the unknown. Right now, we're, from what I'm seeing with people... Truth is being revealed to us in steps. Step might be, this job's not good for you. You're like, um, in this economy in New York, this job's not good for me, but are you kidding me? It's like I have health insurance, I have teeth insurance, I have nasal insurance, like I can't give this. Truth comes in pieces. And truth is not for the meek. Right? So we kind of do this thing with our workshops. I mean, truth will turn your life upside down. It's another thing. So these questions, important, fair enough, just to what's in front of you. And one guy telling you one thing, try these things. I might be totally full of it. Most of the time I am. I might have a couple of nuggets from being a clinician. That might help you. But we have to be in the unknown. What does that mean? It's going to be revealed to you one step at a time. All you're going to get is a ticket to the Greyhound from Port Authority to Albany. That takes courage. Because you're just taking my word. And what if I go to Albany? I've got no money. Is there going to be something else? But you go to Albany, and then there's a train ticket there. Then it gets easier. Then you take the train. Oh, that was cool. And then you go to Canada. There's another thing there. Then there's like a bunch of weed. You got to drive back across the border. You make 10 years. Oh, it just works out. Um, let me read you something. So we talked about Rumi, one of my homeboys. Charles Bukowski. You guys know Charles Bukowski. He's not exactly Rumi. It's much better than Rumi. Because how can you go wrong with all this womanizing and drinking? I love this poem because as crazy as this guy was and as left-handed path that he took, he was true. Right? So in our culture, we have these like, 
This is our spirituality. People wearing robes and the beards and the floating on the sky. Most of those people I don't trust because they haven't lived. You can trust Charles Bukowski. He's out there. Right? So, in the old school, in the Zen tradition, you'd go eat at the table. You know, in Zen, they'd have three bowls and one's the food and then one's the drink and then one's the rice and everything gets cleaned. And, and then sometimes, if the abbot, if the roshi was really good, he would just grab a lot of food in front of everyone. And the teaching was, I'm greedy, because you're greedy. He wouldn't be like, he would just grab a chunk of food and put it in his bowl, just so his greed would be out there. He wouldn't be this new agey, I love you all. Meanwhile, like everything is getting, you know, getting ripped off and this and that. Bukowski was like that. What you sell is what you got. Carl Jung used to always talk about the danger. You read biographies very rarely. Either it's a murder job, no one's all bad, or usually it's a glorification job, and no one's all good. People like Bukowski, they're out there. What you see is what you get. He was never saying that I'm a saint. So this poem is called Roll the Dice. So this is about what we're talking about. You're sitting here asking me these questions and we want to know the truth. This is what happens if you really want to know the truth. Roll the dice. If you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start. If you're going to try, go all the way. This could mean losing girlfriends, wives, relatives, jobs, and maybe your mind. Go all the way. It could mean not eating for three or four days. It could mean freezing on a park bench. It could mean jail. It could mean derision, mockery, isolation. Isolation is the gift. All the others are a test of your endurance, of how much you really want to do it. And you'll do it, despite rejection and the worst odds. And it'll be better than anything else you can imagine. If you're going to try, go all the way. There's no other feeling like that. You will be alone with the gods, and the night will flame with fire. Do it, do it, do it, do it. All the way, all the way. You will ride life straight to perfect laughter. It's the only good fight there is. That's awesome. Awesome? Awesome. We don't want to do it all the way. We want a little bit. I want a little bit of awakening. I want a little bit of a little bit of serenity. I'm fine, and that's okay. We want to be hedged, huh? We want to be hedged. There you go. Good man. That's it. It's just that the part of you that's making that hedge is going to lose his head if you win. If you win, and that's where it gets weird. It's just like a financial hedge or something short. You know, right? You can't possibly enjoy it once you get there. Right. Well said. Beautiful. So be clear about where you are and how much you want it. You know, really be honest on that level. I mean, this stuff, when it starts opening up, it does, it's a flame that consumes you. It's like that Rumi poem. I, I don't, I never remember Pervedam, but he's talking about how his life is running towards awakening and is asking for a kiss and his head will come off and he's like, oh, that's exactly not what I meant. I was kind of joking. I just wanted a little bit. He's like, um, no, that's... The Indians have a beautiful saying. They say your head's in a tiger's mouth. Many if you're sitting here, you're already in process. It's a matter of time till that thing clasps on you. Taste your life. That's the bottom line of this stuff.
But we're living in a time, I've never seen anything like it. The veil is so thin. Things are happening so fast. You set that intention. Things will happen. When you ask that question, set your intention. You with your childhood, set the, set the intention. The intention that I've set for many years, and it's destroyed my life. <laughs> the first time I said it, I didn't realize how destructive it was. I was in India, Ramana Maharshi's ashram. Woo! Burn away all that does not serve me. Help me remember who I am. Burn away all that does not serve me. Help me remember who I am. Destroyed my life. Six months later, I was back in the States, and just my life went and imploded. And I was like, whoa. Power intentions in places of power. That was my ego. Like, yeah, man, bring it on. I just had an email with someone. I just said something to them about what was going on with his marriage, and he did a George Bush. Yeah, man, bring it on. Okay. I'm going to bring it on. Life is going to kick your ass. Like, you, you throw that on. It's not like punishment. It's like you are challenging that part of you. It will bring it on. Something about that energy right now. Ready to let go of stuff that doesn't serve you? Sit with that. Let it go into your heart. Are you ready to let go of things that don't serve you? You don't know what that is. If you did, you would do it. Or you wouldn't do it. For me, it was my marriage. I wasn't ready to let my marriage go. I had a nervous breakdown. I love this woman. I didn't know that's what it was. It's just an idea. Let it go. Are you guys ready? I mean, are you... Is it possible, like in the case of your marriage not to get too personal, but mm -hmm. to speak about marriage and, and all relationships, mm -hmm. sure, broadly, that had you not been so uh, callous as too hard, maybe a word, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. to say, oh, I'm ready, mm -hmm. that you could have both evolved together mm -hmm. had you slowed down your process. That's a separate, I'll, I'll answer that. But that's interesting how you broke what we're talking about. Are you ready, what I just asked you, well, what about if you have, like, well, I'm ready as long as it doesn't hurt my children, as long as it doesn't... Those are the things that come to my mind. I can't hurt this person in the process. I, I, I'm not ready to grow, but... Hurting your children is your children. That's, we're not talking about that. But what if it affects other things in your life? We're not talking about people who are going to die in your life. Well, no, but then, you know, if I go in this direction, they won't have this security, or they won't have that. Or, you know, it's like, all of a sudden you look at, like, well, when I'm moving in my direction, this is going to leave an aftermath for all these other people. So, so, well, the kid thing is very tricky, right? If your kids are young, that's an issue because you're responsible to them. Right. But, but this bartering that you're doing is what everybody does. One of the things, a great point, I haven't forgotten it, we'll come back to that. One of the things that's happening now, children, I actually really feel like if you have a child, you're responsible to them for 18 or 20. Like, you've already done that, you're responsible. You better put everything on hold. That's, that's a personal opinion. I feel like if you have kids, that you've got to dis, discharge your karmic duty. And kids are amazing that way in terms of... It's a very powerful spiritual practice. But one of the things that's happening right now is that we're waking up and our social agreements with our spouses, with our friends, with this and that, is changing radically. So to your question about my marriage, I kinda, things are the way they are. Had I said it, had I not done it. But it's deeper than that. If my marriage, in a way, was stronger or was what was needed to happen, it wouldn't have blown up. But a lot of people have like affairs and they get back together. There are people who have, and they get stronger. I had a letter this two weeks ago, email two weeks ago, from a woman I knew 30 years ago who had an affair with somebody that I knew. 
And the husband was just like, this guy's not going to get in between us. I forgive you. And they're together 30 years later and the guy's dying of cancer now. So beautiful. I mean, commitment is commitment. I can answer your question if I said it or not being this or who, who knows. But the thing that I'm telling you is, as you're waking up now, all social contracts are up for re-signing. That's up to you. It's not easy. This is what I'm saying to you. It's like, I wish I could just tell you, hey man, just meditate, feel your emotions, everything will be great. It's like lobbing a hand grenade into, into your life, spiritual work. Spiritual life does not give a fuck about your life. You understand that? It does not care about your ego's well-being. It doesn't care about your money in the bank. It does not care. This is the thing that's very bad in our culture. It's our egos running amok, thinking if we do spiritual work, money will come in, relationships will be great. Maybe, probably not. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you, that's what I see every day. These ridiculous promises. That was just something I was reading about a shadow something, some teacher. Three days, they're going to teach you how to love yourself. Good luck. I've been trying to love myself for 50 years. I still I haven't even scratched the surface. So it's a very important point. Social contracts are up right now. I hear this all the time. I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my wife, for my husband. I can't hurt my friend. He's known me. He needs me. Bullshit. You're not God. It's not your job on that level. So I'm not some Ayn Rand person that say, like, fuck the world and just like, you know, I'm not saying that. If you love yourself, you can't help but love everyone around you. That's how it comes. But it's not from a caretaker point at that place. It's from a place of knowing, this is my hand. I don't do that because that hurts. I might not do this, but I don't hit this hand. Everyone here is a finger on the same hand. Really, literally. You have that spiritual realization, you can't help but be kind to everyone around you. But this thing of outside in, like, you know, going to this, like, worst case scenario, well, I don't want to lose my children. We're not talking about losing your children. We're talking about you waking up. There are very many people who wake up and everything looks exactly the same outside. Nothing changes. I mean, that's lovely, right? For, for the ego, but the person's having a different experience. There are many people that change the outside constantly and nothing changes. Change cities, jobs, husbands, wives, lovers. The same exact person. So, the other most important thing today? Intention versus action. This is very foreign to our thinking. You can take one action with two different intentions and have two totally different results. Intention versus action. It's not the action. So in your question, like you're asking me an action question, Depends on my intent. My intent at that point wasn't to hurt my wife. I already loved this woman. She was with me in India at the time. We were doing a pilgrimage. Meditating every day together. Like It wasn't like I'm out there going like, woo. And 15 years looking back, it was the perfect thing that needed to happen. I would have never done it. She would have never done it. It was done for the highest good. So my ego 15 years ago would say one thing to you. My ego today would say something to you. My spirit was like, man, this is your commitment, then here we go. And you say, like, I wasn't flipping. I had a nervous breakdown for a year after that. I'm a strong human being. I had a nervous breakdown. So it wasn't like, woo, I'm just going to throw a grenade here out of laughter. My soul was ready for it. Personality is never going to be ready for it. If you for a second think that your personality is going to pull the trigger on this, 
Let me tell you a couple of good jokes. Your personality will never pull the trigger on shit that is going to threaten it. And everything threatens the personality. Your personality didn't come here today. The deeper part of me did. It's not about this jackass. It's the energy that comes through this jackass. But you knew that. Everybody in this room is very open and all of your energy is affecting all of us. None of us will be the same after this. Mark my words in the next couple of weeks. Do you think for a second that our personality came here willingly, just that we don't have enough going on in our lives, we're going to throw a grenade in there? No. This is the time right now. Action and intention. Be very aware of your intentions. So we're talking about these masks. You can take care of someone and you're not attached to it. You just feel it's the right thing to do. Beautiful. You don't think about them. You don't call them six times. Are you still drinking that? Are you still doing that? Are you doing drugs? Different intention. You say once, like, here's Cocaine Anonymous. Here's what happens to people who don't do it. God bless you. Intention versus action. Be very clear about your intent constantly. With everything. Sure. Sure. So let's say, for example, I have a friend who's a drug addict. The action that I'm going to take is I'm going to sit down and have a talk with this person about their addiction. One intention is I've got to save this guy. I've got to save this guy. He's going to kill himself. This is, I mean, it's just my job. It's what I do. I've got to love him. I don't, you know. That's one intent. Another intent is like, I understand he's doing this. I was an addict myself. I've lost friends to addiction. I still have this number. So this is my version of grabbing a key from someone. I'll have a talk with them once. I'll say, hey, man, I've been there. I know you're hurting. You don't want to talk about it, I'll shut up right now. See if he's a little bit more open, and I'll say a couple of more things. Then I'll let it go. So my intent is very different. My intent isn't to save this person. This one I'm trying to save. Same action, right? Mm-hmm. What's your intent if it's not to save them? Because taking away the keys would have saved your friend. Yeah? Um, no, if my friend was on such a death mission, it would have saved him that night, it would have, he would have killed himself. So no. what was your intent in the second one? My intent in the second one is not trying to fix them. Just speaking my truth if they're willing to listen to it. Remember that thing we said earlier? Remember, not everyone who wants to hear the truth. Actually, most people don't want to hear the truth. Especially your truth. Be very clear as you understand things just because you're there. I mean, one of the things in my experience is that as I've grown, I've had to let people that I love go. As a guy who traveled his whole life, my friends are very dear for me because I've never had friends as a kid. So I have a friend that I've had for 30 years is very dear to me. We don't match. We can't talk about the same things. It's painful. You have to be willing to let things go. Right? You all have this experience, right? You have a certain friendship or a family member, and family member is harder, you know, you can't kill them. I mean, I do, but you usually can't. Um, that was a joke. But like with, with, like, with like a friend that you've loved for a long time, and you just go and you sit there and you, just, you go like, wow, we actually don't talk anymore. It's just this memory, like a college friend or something. Mm-hmm. You sit there and you have a drink or you talk to them, and you're like, we don't say anything. But then three months later, you do it again, because every three months you see this person. Every three months, you can do it. Once a week. Speaking on the idea of that people don't want to hear the truth, I just had this experience recently where I, someone said something to me and I asked them, because I had a feeling they were wrong about something. Mm-hmm. I said, here, please, just clarify, because I don't think this is right. And they came back and their response was, oh, no, no, I was right. I should never have found out it's, I picked up the phone at the right time and found out what happened. And they, I gave them the chance. They still lied. And then I actually found out the truth. 
it hurt me because it was a teacher of mine who I was going to for guidance and help about a case. And I was like, why would you? I never went for the help. I just couldn't bring myself because I was like, I can't go to this person. So what about the idea that I actually wanted the truth because I kind of knew it and I just wanted her to clear the space mm -hmm. and clear it for her so it was fine. But for whatever reason, she couldn't bring herself to actually be, give the truth yeah. or to state the truth. So, but it's the same thing on the flip side, right? It's like she's the one who doesn't want to hear the truth. A lot of times when people are trying to do something like that, first of all, you always have to have permission. Like unless you asked her for that, and that can actually be caretaking too. You had a feeling that she wasn't telling the truth. Right then you stop. Like it doesn't feel right to me. So there's already a caretaking thing going on. Like you're intuitive, you feel they're not saying the truth, you stop there, so you give them a chance. But as a flip side of that, people don't want to know the truth. People are doing all kinds of shtick all the time. We're master liars. I'm not saying people. We, we all do it. I mean, most of the time, if one's lips are moving, one's lying. That's sort of my experience. Um, unless, you know, on some level, we're doing a shtick. Very rarely is it really honest. But it's the same thing in reverse, right? You knew it. She didn't want to hear it. And that's the part you've got to let that go. It's very painful. And then you cut her some slack or you don't. I mean, if she's someone, a teacher, and they do that, they're human. But is that a pattern? If it's a pattern, well... I certainly wouldn't be wanting to study with them. People are amazing. I do a lot of different things. Their guys are amazing mechanics. I go work and wrench on bikes and cars. For sure, I'm not going to be talking to them about relationship. They're nuts. But they're great mechanics. So be conscious who you're talking to about what. They're martial artists. Great, great workout. I'm not going to talk to them about my motorcycles. They don't know how to work on... Be very conscious in our culture. We kind of vomit and talk about the other stuff. By all means. Now, that's a great point that takes me to 1 o'clock we said lunch, right? Yeah. Um, perfection. Part of this idealized self-image is this idea of being perfect, as if there is such a thing. Right? There's like no such a thing. But we have this idea that we have to be perfect. Part of being vulnerable is actually with people that are safe, not every person, show your imperfection. Right? Like with that person, like having that conversation, there's an imperfection. Now that can deepen a relationship. person comes in like, oh, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that and I talked behind your back and that was horrible. That's a vulnerability. But it goes back to that idealized self-image I was telling you. Yep, yep, I know, I got it. Yeah, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, uh-huh, I know. Yep, yep. Remember that mask? Mm -hmm. Knows everything, doesn't... I got it, it's good. It's incredible. It's so annoying. It's like, why are you here then? Why are we having this conversation? But it comes from deep, deep pain. So, look at yourself and allow your vulnerability. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. So that's actually a pretty cool practice to do at some point. To actually sit down and take an inventory. What are your weaknesses? What are the places where you're failing as a human being? Man, I got a temper on me, I can't tell you. Woo! God help you. You're not receiving any of that mouth. I know it's hard to tell that I'm very verbose, but trust me, I am. So I have to know that that is a thing for me. It's a genetic thing. Both my grandfathers were addicts and alcoholics, and they had a temper on them. It just got passed along. Part of it is the vasanas, body mind. Vasanas are body mind tendencies. Sanskrit word. So, what is your vasana? What is your weakness? Not as a beat up yourself thing. Just take a look at it. 
Where's your narcissism? We're all narcissistic on some level. Where's the place where you're narcissistic? Even if you're the most kind, giving person, that's the biggest narcissism. Because really, what is that? Look at me, look at me. Am I great? Uh, I'm a little bodhidharma. Am I great? I love that bodhisattva thing, right? That to me sometimes is like the biggest narcissistic thing. I will stay back till every individual is enlightened and then I will enter nirvana. You're like, shut the fuck up. Next. <laughs> I don't mean to diss it, but it's interesting because that's how our culture takes it. I'm sure that's not how it was done originally or maybe it was. But our culture will take anything and run with it. And I grant. Examine your narcissism. Yes. Uh, I think shut the fuck up is probably the best mantra to have. <laughs> um, but I have a situation and I would like your help if possible. Um, I'm not really sure where the mask was in this. Uh, I had someone say to me recently um, that I made them sick, that working with me uh, made them ill and nauseous and they shut down creatively and they couldn't do work with other people. Normally, my reaction would have been, take a number, get online, but I listened. And um, I said to her, I did not do that to you. Those were your choices. Her response was, how can you say you didn't do this to me when that's exactly what you did? I said, no, I was just busy being me, and that's how you interpreted it. This isn't a healing situation, or this isn't a... Were you doing uh, this is uh, somebody that was doing work for me. Okay. okay. And uh, a couple of days later, she said, uh, "I didn't. I didn't mean to hurt you." And I said, "Sure, you did." I said, "But I have to tell you, you didn't hurt me." Now, at that moment, I felt something in me lock. So I felt I'm not being truthful here. Right? But I wasn't going to give her the edge because I wanted to stick a fork in her arm. So <laughs> I just sat myself there and I said, you didn't hurt me. A couple of lines later, it was the change. And I said, well, you already know the answer to that, so why don't you tell me? And she said, well, you are. And I said, well, if I believe what you say, then my father was right when he left me on the street to die. Mm -hmm. And I'm the trash she said I was. So do you want to rework the statement? She said, well, I meant to hurt you there. I said, wait. Now, in this scenario, were four different things that were happening for me. Shame. I reacted to what she said, so I know I'm in on it. There's something in it I believe. This is a lifelong issue for me. If she was in front of me, I would have cracked her head like a watermelon. Mm -hmm. I really would have. No, no thinking, no nothing. One shot, you're done. And I've been working on this for a lot of years. Um, I'm not always a good student. Where is the mask here? Because I feel like I may have been wearing 14 of them. Well, you are. First of all, let's break this down. The shame thing is the obvious thing. Where the, when, you, when the mask is loose, the shame comes up. That's how the mask is held in place, culturally. We are shamed into not removing it. So what is truth or not, it doesn't matter. The idealized self-image got assaulted. It might have nothing to do with you. It might totally be about you. The shame is the first part that you realize the mask is being shook up. The part where you actually say to her, like, you didn't hurt me, that already, like, obviously someone's trying to hurt you. You're already engaging something. Now... One thing that personally I've learned is people say something to me even though it's not healthy or they take my inventory, 
A lot of times there might be some truth in it. So I have to sit with it. They say, hey, you did this or you did that. It might be 80% bullshit. It might be 20% truth. It might be 80% truth. So sit with that and see what in there can you learn. You have to figure out what this piece is. What is the beef with this person? The rage thing is part of that protection mechanism. The shame is one aspect. The one to crack their skull open is a part of a defense mechanism similar to that. You can relate to that, right? Very much, yeah. Somebody steps in. Two, two ways people usually handle these things. You've got the person that keeps going back, going back, going back. People come in their face. There are people like us, we just like, yeah. what? That energy. I will. So these, these, these are the different masks. Now, you have to really examine and see what for you. What part of it is that? Someone who's taking your inventory like that and talking about someone else, already it's like not about that. And you've got to figure out what part of you is in a relationship for what reason. What are you getting out of this relationship? Because we always get something about it. It's very common where we have things like this happen a lot, where people keep getting betrayed or things happen. Then we have to examine, like, what are we missing? I treat men and women who constantly get in these relationships with people who cheat on them. Or people who, it's like a very, this is what I was saying about the negative pleasure. It's a very specific energy to repeat these patterns over and over. Own your part, that's all you can do. You can't control it from there. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's painful. Any questions? I wanted to just go back to a different... Please, point, uh, all free, free. Because I, I felt like when you were talking about children yes and how like I, I think that um, you know the type of parent you are is one of the biggest masks we wear mm-hmm. and using our children as sort of an excuse or hurting our children as an excuse for inauthenticity mm-hmm. that like I see it over <coughs> and I know like where it's created a great amount of conflict in my own life where I'm like oh I can't do that it'll hurt my children or, or they'll they'll have to adjust and change their lives in a way and, you know, I'm fortunate that um, my daughter's 19 and I'm at sort of like the tail end of the, you know, watching how those changes flow through and realizing that, like, oh, you know, what I, what I thought was really about my fear holding me back and about my own pain versus the parent to say, well, this is really, this is really just about my anxiety. And, and they turn out not to feel it the same way and recognizing the difference between that self that's great. That's actually a great point. Um, what, what I was talking about, I didn't make myself clear. What I was saying was just like leaving your kids behind. Because I've, I've had patients who've done that, where they kind of just dump the kids, I'm going to India on pilgrimage. That's more what I was talking about. But to her point to you, having children, I actually agree with that because people use their kids just like they use their marriages as an excuse of not really moving forward. Here's something that seems to hold true. When one person in a relationship gets a piece of information... Everybody in that relationship is getting that piece of information. Can you close that door, please? So, when I go to India and I get this thing that you're talking about in the marriage, <clears throat> and I go like, burn away what doesn't serve me. I didn't get that my marriage is bad or not working. My wife was like, I'm done. I don't want to live here. I want to live in California. This is... She got the information. Now, I can go into the, oh, how can you do this to me? That information was for both of us. It's the same thing with children. If you get a piece of information, like I need to meditate an hour today or half an hour or we need to do this or we need to do that. Everybody in that structure has that information through you. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. This is a very common thing that I hear with people. I would really do this, but my father can't take it. 
I would really do this, but my wife can't take it. My lover can't take it. It's like, um, no, your truth is to yourself. I'm not saying go out there and be cruel and be irresponsible. But ultimately, if you're not truthful, you're not helping anyone. And I've heard this stuff, spent 30 years, you know, people constantly, and then the kids grow up and they're still doing the same thing, or the marriage, or whatever. There's no right or wrong. Action versus intention. Be truthful with yourself for what your needs are. So, any questions about all the confusing stuff I've thrown out there out of order today? I have one question. Yes. Um, when we did the earlier meditation, um, I felt very, very different physically. It's just an altered in every way. However, I think maybe that has a lot to do with the energy that you and all of these people are bringing. Yes. Now, when I do the same sitting exercise um, at home mm-hmm. and with the same buzzing, you know, all of that, I don't have that experience at all. And is there something we can do so that we're not thinking about meditating at home or we're not in such an energy? Look, whenever you're in a group, there's no doubt it's a different experience. I mean, the group meditation is so much easier to drop in, especially a lot of people here obviously are meditators, so there's a lot of juice here. No doubt about it. You can get pretty close to this with practice. It's a, it's a muscle that you have to develop. Meditation is a muscle. That's all there is to it. 